everyone, and welcome to Chapter Brothers. My name is Nick Ackerman. And my name is Kevin Ackerman. All right, and today we are going to continue on with the drawing of the three. We're going to start uh, Chapter 3. Uh, but before we do so, Kevin, it's time for the Stephen King trivia. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> cool. We are continuing on, moving kind of chronologically through the books. Um last one we did was uh, Firestarter in the year of Nick, 1980. Uh, now we Indeed. move on to 1981, which actually sees um, Stephen King publish three works. Ooh. So we're Big just going to go over the next three weeks. So we'll start chronologically mm-hmm. with uh, March of 1981, um, in which he publishes a book again under his pseudonym. What's his pseudonym again? Ooh, Richard Bachman. So 81, Bachman. I'm going to say, is thinner. Nope, not yet. Ah, this is the third yet. Bachman book. Okay, so then um, in that case, I'm going to say it is The Running Man. Nope. Ah, dang. Four. Okay. <laughs> uh, so as I was reading like the summary of this a little bit, um, it's, it got me thinking of... The movie up a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Huh. We've but done Rage. Really We've all, done The course. Long Walk. There's uh-huh. got to be another one that I'm missing. Uh, Something that causes uh, traffic a lot of times. <laughs> Roadwork? Roadwork is what it's called. True. Roadwork. This is this is one of the ones that I haven't read. Uh, I, I haven't read. Yeah, this I one. got to rage and halfway through the long walk and kind of gave up and then just skipped ahead to the Running Man because that one seemed more interesting. <laughs> well, again, I don't want to give away um, the plot. I didn't even want to read the plot because I was like, oh, this, this seems like an interesting mm-hmm. book. Um, but essentially, it's a guy who's. And I'm probably wrong about this. Um, he, his his son passes away, his wife leaves him, and then um, they want to basically put in a highway and take out his whole neighborhood. Mm. And um, he basically gets some guns and barricades himself in the house so that they can't. Um, and I think he puts some explosives on the house. And of course. Then the whole book is, I think, <laughs> explaining kind of how uh, he deals with the cops and... Uh, you know, just being upset about losing his part of his past kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, because uh, Rage has a whole, like, hostage situation where they're kind of dealing with the cops outside uh, as well. So it's interesting that uh, Stephen King kind of had a lot of uh, different hostage situations going on. Well, was it just him in his house and he was kind of just sort of holding the highway hostage? Or did he have any, I... anybody else in there with him? Like I said, I didn't want to read too far Fair into enough. it, um, but it seems like it's just him in the house, and like what he's holding hostage is the, the road work. That's the road work, done. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, um, there was no uh, Asian Boy Scout in there with him to go along with the up metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, I wonder if there's any like common through line between the Bachman books. Cause I do always like- wonder. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's always kind of like the darkest and yet sort of like like more most realistic, I would say, of Stephen King's writing. Um, I mean, uh, the Running Man notwithstanding, because that one does take place in like a, a dystopian future. 
But I mean, also fairly earthy and kind of grounded that it's all about corporations kind of betting on which uh, of these um, escaped convicts can, you know, run the fastest to to get through whatever this like obstacle course of the thing is. Yeah, uh, which is kind of similar to the long walk. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about it. I was like, why would he use a pseudonym? Like, I think at first it was and to also prove keep that coming he back could... to it. Yeah. Yeah. Because after a while, everybody knew it was him, you know? Uh, I think it was like four or five books in. Like, I think before, uh, I'm pretty sure Thinner might have been the last one that was published where he was still trying to maintain the illusion that they were two separate people. Gotcha. Huh. Well, interesting. There's a copy of Thinner at the Rutherford Library that I remember that on the, like, author page, it's got a picture of a different guy, and it says, you know, Richard Bachman lives in New Hampshire with his wife, uh, Claudia Inez Bachman, and, you know, very sort of, like, minimal uh, bio of this guy, but kind of looks like sort of uh, more... I think there's something about him like having worked a blue-collar job and blah, 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 and all this stuff. So it was... I feel like Richard Bachman is sort of like Stephen King's like, well, Stephen King does the horror and the high-concept stuff, but Richard Bachman does like the earthy, like, you know, gritty, like, working man type of uh, drama. Which, I mean, he's Stephen King, so it's always going to edge a little bit more towards, like, the darker kind of fiction that he does. Right, right. I I wonder if it's, like, Bachman makes more, like, social commentary? He might. And Stephen King, like, particularly in the 80s, Stephen King was kind of much more known for being sort of like a schlock jock, as they called it, and known for being much more, like... I feel like also like he he and his wife were it, like they had had like multiple kids in that period. So I feel like Stephen King is much more aware of like, OK, so I need to start writing books that are going to sell. So here is Firestarter. It's about a little girl who can start fires with her mind. And, you know, uh, here is the uh, I I don't think we've gotten to Christine yet, but Christine is a haunted car. And then uh, the the Salem's Lot is the, the vampire story. And uh, he, basically he's starting to just play around with kind of the the genre kind of tropes that already exist. Like, I'm sure there's a haunted Pretty house true. book as well. Well, yeah, The Shining <laughs> is it's a haunted hotel. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, well, the Salem and the Shining were 75 and 76. Though. True. So, but. Cool. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about 1981 uh, next week. Next time, yeah. Uh, because I was like, huh, yeah, three things published in this year. How about that? <laughs> um, all right, so we are continuing with the drawing of the three. Uh, we're up to Chapter 3, Contact and Landing. Mm. Um so let's, I'll just read the first couple paragraphs of section one. Um, Eddie was awakened by an announcement from the co-pilot that they should be landing at Kennedy International, where the visibility was unlimited. The winds out of the west at 10 miles an hour and the temperature at jolly 70 degrees in 45 minutes or so. He told them that if he didn't get another chance, he wanted to thank them one and all for choosing Delta. He looked around and saw people checking their duty declaration cards and their proof of citizenship. Coming in from NASA, your driver's license and a credit card with a stateside bank listed on it was supposed to be enough, but most still carried passports. And Eddie felt a steel wire start to tighten inside him. He still couldn't believe he had gone to sleep, and so soundly. 
Um, so real quick, I think we were talking um, a couple weeks ago about the uh, uniforms that yes. the, the flight, flight attendants were wearing, and uh, this confirms that it is Delta is the airline that they're there on. There you go. <laughs> what, was that the one that um, uh, you had thought uh, earlier? I forget. I forget. Uh, I think I, I, I forget who I said it was. It was like Pan Am or, or Virgin or U.S. I, I didn't say. Yeah, Delta I think we that. said Virgin because that would have made sense. The Virgin Airlines coming from the the Virgin Islands, so that was where my head was at. But Delta turns out to be the the one. Yep, turns out to be Delta. Indeed. Um, have you ever flown uh, through Kennedy? Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. I think we always avoid it and try to go to Newark just because exactly. the traffic is so terrible. Oh, it's there. the worst. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to Kennedy once when Cynthia and I went to Morocco. Uh, it was our return trip. And we got to Kennedy. Like, the airport, I guess, was fine. I don't really have very many complaints about Kennedy Airport as it is. But then we had to take all of our bags and we tra- we took the subway to the bus to like it was a whole rigmarole to get um to get home and i ended up losing my video camera so oh, no. henceforth we always a uh fly out to either newark or if we have to go new york um uh, yeah LaGuardia? mostly just newark yeah yes i think we've yeah. done laguardia too and also uh, always get an uber home or have a friend pick us up because yeah. taking, you know, subways to public transit with multiple bags that we've been on vacation for like three weeks in another country. So, yeah, it was it was a whole thing that we learned a lot. We learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me ask you then, mm-hmm. and because this is what we're going to get to, how is it clearing customs at Kennedy? Ooh. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have any drugs under your armpits. So. Not at all. No, we did Ooh, have. Did you? Uh, what did we have? <laughs> we had we had some blankets. We had I got uh, a new uh, long sweater. Uh, and I think that was it. Uh, clearing customs. I feel like uh, I'm sure. Like, yeah, it was, it's it, probably tougher if you're bringing like um, like spices or um, like fruits and vegetables and stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, there, there have been a few times we brought back Bolivian cheese when when we visited Cynthia's family in Bolivia, but. That was the the only time we brought back anything like edible in our our uh, our checked luggage. But yeah, the um, let's see, customs wise, I feel like going through it was fine. But every single time I go to clear customs, I always have this like internal paranoia that oh my god, what if what if I just have a gun suddenly and I I forgot about it? <laughs> it just appears on my person. Exactly. <laughs> oh <God>. Yeah. <laughs> like the, there's always that like oh, I have to double check all my checked baggage just to make sure that you know somebody didn't accidentally like throw like you know a gram of cocaine on me or something or a kilogram of heroin or something. Just yeah. there's there's that mental like uh, let me just double check. Okay. Uh, yeah. Everything that I br- I brought is I'm only fine. my things. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we recently went to Canada, and I still had that, <clears throat> and, and it, the description of a steel wire starting to tighten inside him. Exactly, is a very good description because, like, that's how I feel every time you know uh, a cop passes me or something, even if I'm doing nothing wrong. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, oh wait, I'm not doing anything wrong. Why am I so <laughs> customs too? It's like, wait, am I in trouble? There's dogs sniffing around. It's like everyone's oh, paying a good. lot of attention to me. They must be right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I stand out in a crowd with my 
large beard and stuff. They're like, that guy looks suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, I feel like my general look of like uh, dark glasses and short hair and uh, a tightly uh, shaven beard and plaid. Uh, I feel like I blend into every other, you know, yeah. white hipster guy. So if you want to commit a crime, just look as plain as possible, I guess. That's, That's the moral of the story. It seems to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Anyway, um, so he got up and went to the bathroom again. Um, and Ooh, also, passports. Uh, at this point, you did not need a passport oh, right. to get to uh, NASA or the Bahamas, but now I just checked online, and you do, in fact, need a passport to go to the uh, Bahamas. Yeah, you need a passport pretty much to go anywhere. Just Exactly. Like, even if I'm going to Canada, I'll bring my passport just in case, like... Any kind of a border, like even if I'm flying um, domestic, I'll bring my passport just so it's a easier form of identification. Yeah, it takes a while to get a new one because um, we knew our trip to Iceland and Ireland was coming up, and like Liz was like a year before. She's like, "You need to renew your passport. Get it started now." I was like, "Oh, I got plenty of time," and it, she was like, "Just do it." And it actually took almost a year. It was like, my God! Wild. Oh, wow! Wow! <laughs> Yeah, I think with us, it only usually takes, like, six months or so. And I, it hasn't taken a full year, but, um, yeah, you could never, like, over-prepare, I feel like. You're always better doing these things well in advance. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about, that's going to be the kind of the theme of today, is talking about, um, well, a couple different things, but customs. keeps Customs. You know, and, and that's been at the back of Eddie's mind, and why the steel... Wire is starting to tighten. Exactly, um, which I feel like is a great, uh, uh, not imagery, but a great uh, description of what anxiety feels like. Is just a steel wire just compressing your chest and making it a little harder to breathe. And you can just feel yeah. like uh, you're constricted. Oh, absolutely. It's it's perfect. I, I've, I used to say something similar to that. Like It's like this like hole that's developing inside me. Or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too t- somebody's um, tightening the seatbelt too much. Yeah, mm. uh, there's a there's a boa constrictor around my ribs. Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll oh, do the man. next one. Uh, go for it. Okay. He got up and went to the restroom. The bags of coke under his arms felt as if they were resting easily and firmly, fitting as nicely to the contours of his sides as they had in the hotel room where a soft-spoken American named William Wilson had strapped them on. Following the strapping operation, the man whose name Poe had made famous, Wilson had only looked blankly at Eddie when Eddie made some allusion to this, handed over the shirt. Just an ordinary paisley shirt, a little faded, the sort of thing any frat boy might wear back on the plane following a short pre-exams holiday, except this one was specially tailored to hide unsightly bulges. You check everything once before you sit down, just to be sure, Wilson said, but you're going to be fine. Uh, so in that uh, way, I want to go back. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, and dang, I, I meant to look this up and I didn't, uh, cause I didn't get the, the reference either. Oh, uh, I, <laughs> so, I, I had never gotten well it before, Wilson. but I did actually look it up this time. Okay. okay. So William Wilson is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe, where basically a, there's this like upper class guy whose name is something similar to William Wilson, and he uh, makes a friend in his like prep school days whose name is William Wilson. The two of them look almost identical. They dress identical. And 
basically the only but William Wilson, he only all ever speaks in a whisper. And so the main character, he kind of goes through his life and William Wilson is sort of like there as his friend. And he kind of uh, uh, basically like hangs out with him. But uh, let's see, he begins to give advice to William of an unspecified nature, which he refuses to obey, resenting the boy's arrogance. Uh, so, and then basically the main character just kind of goes through and starts doing all of this, like, uh, debauched, uh, things, and he gets into more and more, like, trouble, and, uh, he basically just becomes a terrible person, and William Wilson is always there, kind of in the background, and kind of, like, whispering what the right thing that he's supposed to be doing, and sometimes he'll, like, he'll stop him from doing things, and then, uh, eventually at the end of the story, uh... Um, well, I, I won't so, spoil it for, for the viewers, so, uh, in case so, somebody well, wants to read yeah. it. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Um, so anyway, that's exactly what's going on here. That's why you made that allusion to, uh, the Poe work. Um, because William Wilson is Roland right now, is sort of controlling I think so, yes. Eddie. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of the, the, uh, Stephen King, um, allu- reason for this illusion is that he, A, wants to, always wants people to get out and read more things, read the classics, mm-hmm. and then B, he puts in this reference to show that, uh, uh, a main character who is doing bad things has a little voice that's, uh, on, in the back of his head that is telling him to do something different and trying to help him. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I mean, phew. Don't we all sometimes have a little voice inside our head? Exactly. Hopefully it's telling us to do, you know, uh, the angel and the uh, the devil on your shoulders, you know? Precisely, so yeah. A couple voices happening. Um, so when it said William Wilson, my mind just went to baseball because there's mm. a player named Willie Wilson who played for many years. Um, he played for the Royals and the A's. This is a weird tangent to go on. Hey, uh, everybody's got <laughs> but, their own William Wilson, yeah. But his best season by far was the year of Nick, 1980. There you go. 230 hits that year. 230? Wow. That's that's a lot of hits to get. If you get over 200, that's incredible. 230 is great. Um, career True. 285 What's the record hitter? for the most hits in a season? I think, uh, I think Ichiro has it. Um, it's like 270 or something. Okay, so still within the ballpark, yeah. That's the that's still pretty good, yeah. Anyway, that was way off. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, uh, we're all we're all just talking about our own things. Uh, baseball happens but, to come up in our podcast more often than uh, one would think. <laughs> this is true. Uh, and Eddie's wearing a Paisley shirt. We mentioned that before. Indeed, both of us are fans of Paisley. <laughs> so basically, what happens next is he snorts a line of coke, right? Yeah, he's he's losing the effects of what they call China White, but he's like, this isn't as strong as heroin, which is what he wants. No, no, Uh, I think it uh, is a type of heroin, but it's just not, you know, I guess China White is like the the best type of heroin. So this is just sort of like this off beige-ish sort of color. Yeah, best best in the Bahamas, but Mm. better stuff in uh, New York City where he's going, probably. I guess, yeah. I don't know much about the the different uh, brands of heroin. I don't know. <laughs> I'm guessing, yeah. I, I, well, I'm just saying, like, probably in the U.S., we have more, <clears throat> like, um, access to 
goods coming from other countries and stuff, unlike a island country of the Bahamas. I don't know. How I would think work. that like the, the <laughs> reason why he's smuggling it from the island into the U.S. is because there's probably more lax like uh, security getting into the uh, the Bahamas than there is getting into America. Well, and that's what happens next. Basically, exactly. he says. Uh, so I, I just kind of skipped the next uh, section, but he he bumped a lot, right? Uh, yeah, basically, like he, in spite of all temptation and most of last night's uh, temptation had it hadn't been temptation, but raging need, he had managed to hold on to the last little bit of this uh, China white snorts the powder, flushes the paper that it had been in down the john and washed his hands. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then in in the middle of that, they say clearing customs from Nassau wasn't like clearing customs from Haiti or uh, Quincon. I don't know where that is or or Bogota. Uh, but there were still people watching. So basically that's sort of the idea is that, uh, you're like taking steps from like where it's like easier to, uh, import and export, uh, from like various places and whatnot. So, uh, Quincon is in France. Oh, interesting. I wonder what sort of drugs are coming in from there. Wait, no, that can't be. Uh, it's probably just another island in the in the Caribbean, and maybe it's changed names over the years. Possibly. Hmm. That, I, I can't find anything. Either anyway. way, yeah, it's uh, a place that uh, Stephen King thought of. Who knows? Yeah. So Eddie needed to chill out, so he he took some took a he took a powder. He took he a powder ate exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've got uh, we've got a little bit of the. Uh, the Rashomon uh, effect of what I like to call it, where you see the same event through three three different people's point of view. So, why are you calling it Rashomon? Rashomon is the name of a Kurosawa movie where basically there's a murder that occurs, and you see that uh, like the events leading up to the murder from like three or four different people's point of view, including the murder victim nice. at the end of the movie. So, I love it. Yeah, so definitely think, uh, a classic movie. Yeah, it's great. Like Quentin Tarantino has done this. Uh, at one point in, uh, well, he more it? just changes the timeline. He doesn't exactly. Like, yeah, he's more for non-linear storytelling. Story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a movie where you can. Oh, this definitely has happened in numerous things. Mm-hmm. It's like rewind. Exactly. Well, let's see it from their point of view. Yeah. Uh, what's this? What's it called? Prince and Guldenstern. True. Um, and I was going to say uh, Hamilton. When you said uh, rewinds, that made me think of it specifically. Uh, oh yeah. Like there you go. Uh, the two songs, uh, "Helpless" and what is the song after that? What is that song called? Satisfied. Satisfied. That's what it is. There we go. Yes. Some. We gotta pull in the our experts on the information. Uh, my fiance Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia. Yeah. So here, at the very first, it says, "On his way back to his seat, he saw the stewardess who had brought him the drink he hadn't finished. She smiled at him. He smiled back, sat down, buckled his seatbelt, took out the flight magazine, turned the pages, and looked at pictures and words. Neither made any impression on him. Uh, the steel wire continued to tighten around his gut. Uh, so yada yada. The heroin had hit. Uh, so one oh, thing is heroin. There you yeah. go. <laughs> that confirms that. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Eddie uses heroin, but he's smuggling cocaine. So it, um, it hit, but he sure couldn't feel it. Right. Um, I tell us. So is that like it's not strong enough or 
Was somebody else feeling it? Maybe. Yeah, maybe the who knows if like, you know, your brain chemistry is different when you have uh, a fantasy uh, passenger that's also sharing your mind. Who knows? Uh, yes, this will be uh, Roland's first time on heroin, I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, boy. What the hell's going on here? One thing he did feel shortly before landing was another of those unsettling periods of blankness. Short, but most definitely there. The 727 banked over the water of Long Island Sound and started in. And then we go on to section two, another section point two. of view. Exactly. So our second point of view on that same event, Jane Dorning had mm-hmm. been in the business class galley, helping Peter and Anne stow the last of the after meal drink glasses when the guy who looked like a college kid went into the first class bathroom. He was returning to his seat when she brushed aside the curtain between business and first, and she quickened her step without even thinking about it, catching him with her smile and making him look up and smile back. His eyes were hazel again. All right, all right. He went into the john, took them out before his nap. He went into the john and put them back, put them in again afterwards. For Christ's sake, Janie, you're being a goose. Uh, she wasn't though. <laughs> yeah. So she's thinking, thinking. She's second guessing herself. Uh, he's too pale. So what? Thousands of people are too pale, including your own mother, since her gallbladder went to hell. He had very arresting <laughs> blue eyes. Maybe not as cute as the hazel contacts, but certainly arresting. So why the bother and the expense? Maybe because he likes designer eyes. Isn't that enough? No. Uh, shortly before the fasten seatbelts, uh, shortly before fasten seatbelts and final cross check, she did something she had never done before. She did it with the old tough battle axe of her instructor in mind. She filled a thermos with hot coffee and put on the red plastic top without first pl- pushing the stopper into the bottle's throat. She screwed the top on only until she felt it catch the first thread. Uh, so basically, she is prepping a an improvised weapon uh, at this point. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's uh, re- ready to scald somebody. Oh, whoops! Sorry. You know, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the second that uh, she sees any kind of uh, problem coming from this guy, so she is on her mm-hmm. guard, uh, absolutely, uh, because she sees something weird going on with Eddie, and she's like, "Whatever this is, I, I, it could be something bad." So I want to be absolutely ready in case anything occurs. So yeah, court would be court would be very proud of her. Exactly. Seeing yeah. everything that's going on, being a gunslinger. Precisely. <laughs> uh, Got me thinking um, about, and I didn't do research on this, but, um, you know, scalding somebody with hot coffee and uh, um, in medieval times, they, they used to dump hot oil on incoming soldiers. Like Exactly. That's, I think that's much hotter. Than well, hot I, not, even, not only just hot, much hotter, <laughs> but much worse because the hot oil is going to stick Sticks to you and continue oh, to scald. Yeah, oh, the hot coffee, it, it scalds you once, but then it just splashes right off. Yeah, the hot oil. Yeah. Imagine pouring, like, scalding hot glue on somebody so that it cooks their face as it's sticking to them. It's, this oh, is, like, horrific torture. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's why it says, you know, it's going medieval on his ass. Precisely, yeah. Yeah. A pair of pliers and a blowtorch to bring it back to Stephen, uh, to Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, where were we? Let's see. So we're still with uh, Jane Jane Dorning, and we are introduced to her friend Susie Douglas, one of the other uh, flight attendants, who's giving the uh, final announcement, uh, telling everybody to extinguish their cigarettes and, uh, yeah, and whatnot. Wait, so right there. First of all, um... (laughs) Uh, Jane called herself a goose, and then telling the geese. So, like, is that just stupid people? Like, I think so. Yeah, basically, like the 
the equivalent of calling somebody sort of like a, a tourist or like calling somebody like a noob or whatever. The, you'd be basically saying that you're being naive and uh, and whatnot. Yeah. You're being led around, let, you know, yeah, like a sheep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you think that's how flight attendants, you know, mostly think of people in their jobs? They're like, interesting. This again, you're the same goose as yesterday. Mm. Uh, yep. Same problems, you know. Yeah, I, I feel like every see. yeah every industry has their their term for like the whatever the, like the customers or uh, I know uh, in in the show that uh, Cynthia and I used to watch uh, Sirens uh, and like uh, first responders in like an ambulance they would refer to them as uh, frequent flyers for uh, uh. hypochondriacs who constantly call the call nine one one. But anyway. Um, so I can continue from there. Um, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. Extinguish their cigarettes. Uh-huh. Kevin, do you know what year um, the law went into place to that banned uh, smoking on planes? Hmm. I don't know it offhand, but I'm going to say 1994. Oh, I see. I would have guessed earlier than that, like, right. and earlier than what it actually is, but it's 1988. 88. Um, oh, wow. this, this book was published in 87. There you go. Huh. So just like soon after it was published, they're like, "All right, enough of this." <laughs> so, it, but it was a. Uh, I, I was looking up, you know, when did this happen? And it was a long uh, deliberation in Congress to Ooh. get it done. Um, uh, New Jersey's Frank Lautenberg was one of the people who um, helped to get it going, along with a couple other senators. There you go. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, I think it started in '73 to like get the ball rolling and it happened in like stages like mm. there's a no smoking section you're like we're in a sealed box yeah. <laughs> everything's the smoking section you could section. put a little curtain and then, across but that's not going to do much for smoke which is yeah. a gas <laughs> uh-huh. and then they're like alright uh, no cigars or pipes which oh my god I wasn't even thinking about that <laughs> that must be even worse I know just, just a, guy a cigar just, next to you you're like oh Sherlock Holmes <laughs> with his calabash pipe is just <laughs> Really? You can't wait? <laughs> um, and then they banned it um, in flights that was two hours or less. Interesting. It's like, you can't wait two hours to not yeah. have a cigarette? I mean, I don't know. Um, but anyway, it took like 15 years to finally, in 88, it was like, no more smoking on planes. Zero percent. Yeah. Good. And I feel like... Which I the, think is a good thing. I feel like maybe I, w- I was more thinking of like banning smoking in like restaurants and uh, indoor like places because I feel... <clears throat> So I feel that, like that happens. I feel like, yeah, that must have happened. 2008, maybe? Was it really? Oh, I thought that was oh, in the yeah. 90s. Oh, man. I distinctly remember being at, well, in New Jersey. Um, you know, so that this was a slow thing, too, nationwide, but I think it was like 2007 or 2008. I don't know. Hmm. Look it up. There you go. Yeah, definitely the, the history of just slowly segregating out smokers from the non-smokers i feel like has been such a good thing just not to mention with all of everything that we've learned about how secondhand smoke can affect uh non-smokers who are in the area and get just as many carcinogens um well maybe not just as many but they're definitely uh, receiving all these carcinogens from secondhand smoke as well so yeah no, I think, and even the smokers get it too. It's mm. like eh, I feel bad, and like at least the, the the ones who are 
conscientious. You know, I try. Oh to yeah, there were steer clear of crowds and stand away from people. Yeah, I've had I've had my share of smokers who are just obnoxious and were basically like uh, still trying to light up in like a bowling alley or a bar even after that uh, legislation was passed. Yeah, uh, like no, can't no, <laughs> there's no asterisks. Um, so anyway, so everybody was extinguishing their cigarettes. It must have been really hard to clean up the plane, too, with, like, Seriously. ash everywhere yeah. and stuff. Uh, Particularly with turbulence, yeah. There's got to be ash in, like, all the seats and everything. Yeah, there oh, yeah, must have been so much, everywhere. like, uh, vacuuming that had to be done. And I, I feel like they also, like, when they decommissioned planes, uh, it must have been, like, probably four shades more yellow than they originally started oh, yeah. out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, they were probably scrubbing the walls, too. The job of a flight attendant was... They deal with a lot, you know? Well, Not also, to mention like, the sexual harassment. Also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a much... The, like, the, the 70s and 80s are one of those times that I think of and I'm like, well, I would have liked to go back in time for, like, the music and whatnot, but just the general, like, air, I feel like, was so much more polluted and the, oh. like... Being on a plane, there was just that like slight tinge of cigarette smoke at all times, and uh, <laughs> like there was just so much more of. And like I feel like wood paneling is just like uh, embodies the seventies and eighties for me much more <laughs> than like you know neon uh, day glow colors for the eighties that some people might think back. I'm like, oh no, the eighties were 90s, wood paneling yeah. and uh, wood paneling yeah. and uh, flat sofas is what I remember most particularly. <laughs> yeah. The 90s was the day glow. 90s was day glow, yeah. Everything, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, coming back and whatnot, yeah. <laughs> oh, I knew so many people with those, like, windbreaker jackets that were, like, you know, an awful color of, like, seafoam and pink, or, like, mm-hmm. pink, like, fuchsia, just crazy, real bright. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, why are we talking about this? Well, um, you know, it's world building for what that phase of time was like, for maybe for some of our younger listeners who didn't live through the 80s. It's true. Also, people just were kind of not as uh, kind, I think. Yeah, I, I would mean, say people so. People are still not very kind, but like it was like okay to, to harass the waitress and like slap her on the butt as she goes by and like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Right, guys? Hey. Everybody yeah, the, was Rodney Dangerfield. Exactly. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, the the Me Too movement and uh, every and uh, times up and all of that. And like, I feel like it, it it couldn't have come at a better time. And like, I feel like the seventies and eighties were the time that so many people were being sexually harassed and and you know just casually raped and whatnot. That I feel like it was just such a uh, a yeah. darker time in history to for women to really even exist. That it's just oh my god, the the yeah. world is not to uh, mention m- minorities as well. Oh, you know, completely, they, yeah. My goodness. Oh yeah, hate crimes oh. were uh, just rampant, and I feel like it's one of those things where like uh, that that phrase uh, "a cab, all cops are bastards." Like it's that thing that like cops were almost complicit in some of these things that occurred in the time. Like, uh, there were so yeah. few, like, uh, sexual harassments or, like, uh, um, like, not uh, even, not even what one would call, like, microaggressions, but full-on aggressions that, uh, were just sort of swept under the rug back in the day. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh God. I was watching this inter- interesting documentary, and we'll go on after this, but it's called uh, 1989, The Year That Made Us, mm. and it's really uh, pretty cool. It's uh, done by those guys that do, like, you know, uh, 
the 80s or the 90s and like like the like, vh1 and, show there's no not that because this was much better um produced um but anyway it talks about uh the political upheaval you know the fall of the berlin wall the, the fall of the soviet union and like how it affected different countries but then also uh the rise of like uh rap music and hmm. uh tabloid television and things like that and it just sort of like made us into what we are today and like some things are good that we thought were good at the time actually turned out to be bad. Like it's just interesting to look at how history changes and like how 1989 was a really like pivotal year anyway. Indeed. As, Um, uh, the, what is it? Um, as public enemy said, uh, a number, another summer. (laughs) And they talk about public enemy in that. Definitely. Mm. It's uh, one of the things they focus on for a while. Um, Anywho, <laughs> anywho, uh, uh, back to the so back to the yeah, plane. So, so Su- Susie Douglas uh, was just getting people to uh, get ready, get their declaration cards, picking up glasses um, and speaker sets. Um, I'm surprised we don't have to check to make sure they're dry. Jane thought distractedly. She felt her own steel wire wrapping itself around her guts, cinching them tight. Get my side, Jane said as Susie hung up the mic. Susie glanced at the thermos, then at Jane's face. Jane, are you sick? You look as white as a... I'm not sick. Get my side. I'll explain when you get back. Jane glanced briefly at the jump seats beside the left-hand exit door. I want to ride shotgun. Jane, get my side. All right, Susie said. All right, Jane, no problem. Jane Dorning sat down in the jump seat closest to the aisle. She held the thermos in her hands and made no move to fasten the web harness. She wanted to keep the thermos in complete control, and that meant both hands. Susie thinks I flipped out. Jane hopes she had. If Captain McDonald lands hard, I'm going to have blisters all over my hands. She would risk it. The plane was dropping. The man in 3A, the man with the two-tone eyes and the pale face, suddenly leaned down and pulled his traveling bag from under the seat. This is it, Jane thought. This is where he brings out the grenade or the automatic weapon or whatever the hell he's got. And the moment she saw it, the very moment, she was going to flip the red top off the thermos in her slightly trembling hands, and there was going to be one very surprised friend of Allah rolling around on the aisle floor of Delta Flight 901 while his skin boiled on his face. 3A unzipped the bag. Jane got ready. <laughs> so she mm. is in full like gunslinger mode. She is ready to roll. Like uh-huh. she she is like commanding uh, her fellow uh, flight attendant. She is like in full control of her senses. She is like ready to jump as soon as she can. She didn't even put on her seatbelt. She is like uh, she is fully in the zone now. So I, I, I do just love the the Jane Dorning character that she is just this absolute like uh, hero, really of a of a person who is ready to jump into to action the second anything happens. Absolutely, and Susie is like her Cuthbert. Yeah, it was just yeah. Sus- she Susiebert exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Susiebert. <laughs> Susie is the mouth, but Jane is the one with the gun. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I checked online because the tone that she's saying this, uh, uh, what is it? There was going to be one very surprised friend of Allah rolling around on the aisle floor. It made me think that it was some sort of like a slur or something. But when I looked it up online, it's like it's a phrase in the Quran. So I feel like Stephen King, oh. like, I wonder if 
they this feels like I don't know. There are two there are a few ways I could go about think about this phrase because A, I almost expected there to be some sort of like, you know, kind of slur like raghead or whatever, like something that would be like totally not okay to say. Uh but but friend of Allah is a phrase from the Quran and it's like it's someone who kind of is like a follower and um like it uh a W L I Y A uh Aulia Alia I don't know uh, if I'm pronouncing it right but basically mm. it's almost like kind of the the chosen people more or less the uh the the people who have taken Allah seriously his prophet peace be upon him and his religious and his religion seriously in contrast to those who made their religion an amusement a sport and were deceived by worldly life so okay. basically it's well, almost what, as though what year are we in right now Kevin what year are we in in the book or in the Quran or what are we talking? <laughs> yes, I know it's 2023. It's 2023 right saying. now, uh, at the date that we record this. Yes. <laughs> oh damn, we dated ourselves again. Um, uh, anyway, um, I'm saying, what year is? Yeah, we are time traveling. Who knows when you're listening? To Precisely. Yes. Um, the sound coming to your ears has been I'm, saved for you later. What year is Jane Dorning in, in the flight? Oh, in the year? flight, is, I believe it's 19... It's either 85 or 86, whenever the book came out. No, 87, I think. 87. So it's supposed to be present day. Present yeah, 87, day. Just, just before the, the ban on smoking. Um, anyway. Exactly. Um, what I was going to say is, previous to that, there had been terrorists who'd taken over planes. And Correct. they were mostly, um, I believe, like... Muslim descent, mm. you know, of, you know, um, Palestinians, uh, like the PLO, I believe. Oh, that was it at that time. Yeah. So she was by saying, you know, friend of Allah, like saying this could be a terrorist, you know? Exactly. Or, yeah. That's the implication. Yeah. Or Jane Dorning is actually Muslim and that's how she just refers to people. I, I feel like it's more <laughs> I like I feel so. it's I don't think she herself is Muslim, but I do think that <laughs> it's it's just interesting to me that they establish that Jane is being prepared and she but she also is a good person who's going to even refer to someone who's a terrorist respectfully, that they are like I mean, she is probably using it sarcastically. But still, yeah. I mean, she could have used like a much worse uh, Stephen King could have used a much worse term, much worse term. And this is just why I wanted to, to highlight it. Exactly. Yeah. That okay. it's uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. being respectful. And exactly. by the way, it's is it Allah or Allah? I always thought it was Allah, but I mean, it could be Allah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm very white New Jersey, so I pronounce it uh, mozzarella and, you know, uh, everything is I, I'll pronounce every letter of every word just to to get it all in there. But <laughs> I'm probably pronouncing it in the whitest way possible. So yeah, well, apologies mozzarella for all is, of my mispronunciations. If you if you actually go to Italy and talk, they, they, they'll say mozzarella cheese, like they won't say Mozzarella, like that's a New Jersey kind of. Well, actually, uh, I've I've heard uh, <laughs> that apparently there are so many uh, like New Jersey immigrants who are speaking technically an older dialect of Italian that has died out in the majority of Ita- oh, of Italy. So really, it's just a dialect that isn't really spoken very much in Italy. But it it was a real thing. But just they all came here is the problem. <laughs> 
Ah. It's like that thing about how there's more Irish people in America than there are in Ireland. There, yeah. Oh, how about that? How about that? Okay, We're, um, we are an immigrant yeah, nation. Do you want to... This is true. Um, this yeah, is... I'll continue yeah. on to Roland's point of view. So we've yes. got the third aspect of the uh, of our Rashomon, Rashomon triangle. Uh, the gunslinger thought this man, prisoner or not, was probably better at the fine art of survival than any of the other men he had seen in the air carriage. The others were fat things, for the most part, and even those who looked reasonably fit also looked open, unguarded, their faces those of spoiled and cosetted children, the faces of men who, who would fight eventually, but who would whine almost endlessly before they did. You could let their guts spill. Uh, you could let their guts out onto their shoes, and their last expression would not be rage or agony, but stupid surprise. The prisoner was better, but not good enough. Not at all. The army woman. She saw something. I don't know what, but she saw something wrong. She's awake to him in a way she's not to the others. The prisoner sat down, looked at a limp-covered book he thought of as a magdecine. Although who Magda might have been, or what. Or what she might have seen mattered lit- not a whit to Roland. <laughs> I just love that little phrase. Uh, <laughs> Me too. So basically, uh, Eddie just sees, she looks at him, she smiles, he smiles back, he goes to his seat. From her point of view, she smiled, but she did so specifically so that she could see his eyes and see what's changing back and forth. And then mm-hmm. Roland's point of view, he immediately doesn't even clock the gesture. He's just like, oh no, she's looking at me. So right now he's in like the second stage where he can view but not control. Exactly. When he's, yeah, he's, the eyes are blue, he can control. Right, yeah. Uh, okay. in, in the book's parlance, like he's in the back. He hasn't pushed himself to the front. Right, I got you. Mm-hmm. I think of it as like a one, two, three. Like one is outside the door, two is just looking, three is <clears throat> kind of in and control. Mm-hmm. Um um, so, so he's going to be a, a scientist right now. Precisely. Yeah. Basically, okay. Roland is like, uh, he's not controlling but, what but Eddie's... Before we move on. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Before we move on, um, I do want to go back to that first paragraph because it's just so great how he describes all of the, of the people. And the one word that I had to look up was cosetted. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, coset, uh, well, first of all, that's a character in Les Miserables. Exactly. She said, Cosette, um, I love you very much. <laughs> um, but also, it's uh, a lamb. So oh. when it means to, to say somebody is cosetted, it's like that they're, they've been like pampered their whole life, that their life has been easy. It's like living like, like a baby lamb, and everything is just. Yeah. You know, and, and instead of living like a hardened uh, gunslinger warrior's life, mm. you know? So it's just a, a comment on. Uh, society in general that we've all gone soft Hmm. interesting i mean i and i totally agree because i feel like after i read this i was like oh i need to be totally vigilant at all times and then i realized later on that no kevin that's just called anxiety uh hyper awareness (laughs) (laughs) this is true uh Definitely some anxiety and, and probably all of Stephen King's books. That's oh, definitely. Goal, right? Yeah. Just to get you on the edge of your seats. Edge of your seat. Oh, and I feel like next. this whole segment is very, very much the edge of your seat because even mm-hmm. as he's taking the time to describe all the various aspects of what's happening, it's also very much like uh, it's it's very quick pace that all the descriptions are like, and then he sat down and then he thought for a while and thought, 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 and then he stood up from having sat down. So it's, it's all like 
like everything is happening in like very rapid succession. Yeah. Yeah. Instances. We're just mm. getting like glimpses of an instant. Yeah, we're reading in bullet time right now. <laughs> oh, pretty cool. Magdecine. Magdecine. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Roland like doesn't understand uh, present day stuff, I-, I love those parts. <laughs> I know, me too. Just yeah, talking about the yeah the Tudor fish popkin and all <laughs> Tudor fish popkin, yeah, <laughs> which we'll talk about again. Um, uh, so yeah, the ur- so basically, it's interesting also that Eddie has uh, had this urge to uh, finish off the last of the heroin that he has, and he's been holding it off. Uh, Jane has this urge to attack Eddie that she's holding off because she's like, I want to wait to make sure I'm not being an idiot. So she's got this urge that she's like holding back. And then Roland at the same time has this urge to come forth and take control of Eddie that he's also holding, uh, holding against. So all three of them at the same time are very much like, there's a thing I want to do, but I won't, but I won't yet. And Eddie is the first one to give in and, uh, take the last of his heroin. Yeah. Oh, so great. I love oh, how he yeah. writes. Um, it's so interesting, the prison... just the triptych of the three of them, that they're all very similar at the same time. I just wanted to bring out and highlight. Totally. That, that, I'm glad you brought that up, because I actually didn't put that together. Um, mm. But that does totally make sense. Um, also, this got me thinking that now, when Roland is in his mind, he also has his memories, too. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Um the prisoner had gone somewhere and gotten a drug, not the drug he himself took, nor one that would help cure the gunslinger's sick body, but one that people paid a lot of money for because it was against the law. Mm. He would give this drug to his brother. He would in turn give it to a man named Balazar. The deal would be complete when Balazar traded them the kind of drug they took for this one. If that was, the prisoner was able to correctly perform a ritual unknown to the gunslinger. In a world as strange as this must of necessity have been... Sorry, in a world as strange as this, as this must of nece- as this must of necessity have many strange rituals. It was called clearing the customs, but the woman sees him. What? Yeah, how do you read that sentence? Why did I get uh, tongue tied on that? I think we're missing a comma. Like, and a world as strange as this must of necessity have many strange rit- rituals. Must comma of necessity have many strange yeah i think there should be a comma there yeah <laughs> we're getting into the grammar here that's into the grammar we gotta we're going back into the blue changes <laughs> but yeah uh, I, it's called clearing the customs and capital letters capital li- <laughs> Because also, I feel like it's so important to Eddie, too, that it's almost capitalized in his mind. So then Roland assumes that it's supposed to be capitalized in general. Yeah, I think coming up, he says something about, like, having to bow gracefully or something. Like, exactly. He doesn't know what this yeah. custom uh, is. <laughs> yeah, we could kind of, like, skip over the next few things where it says... Uh, and then what? Uh, I always thought it was pronounced Gale, but apparently I looked it up and the correct pronunciation is just jail. <laughs> jail. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I thought the same thing. I'm like, Gale? Like, he's talking about Gaelic? I'm like, no, he's just saying jail, but yeah. he doesn't know what that means. Yeah, the, I guess but they didn't a, have a jail? No, that's in, that's, an arca- uh, that's the ar- an archaic spelling of jail. Like, originally, oh, apparently okay. it used to be just G-A-O-L instead of J-A-I-L. Yeah. So, one of those... Um, uh, Changes that happen Gilead? Gilead? No, no. What's the name of his land again? Uh, yes, Gilead. 
Oh, okay. Just Gilead, trying yeah. to remember th- words. Mm. <laughs> it's true. So they had jails in Gilead. They did, yes. <laughs> and then, uh, what does he say? Uh, uh, there might be some sort of oracle who might be consulted on cases of people who look suspicious. Uh, otherwise, uh, <laughs> Roland gleams, the clearing uh, ceremony uh, would be simplicity itself, as crossing a friendly border was in his own world. One made a, the sign of fealty to that kingdom's monarch, a simple token gesture, and was allowed to pass. So I just love the the fantasy lens that Roland views everything through uh, of just in his version of like, OK, so there's an oracle who will see through everyone's mind to see if they're lying. Sure. But otherwise, then <laughs> you just uh, make some sort of a gesture to the kingdom of monarch and then you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, didn't we talk about the way that they bow to each other? That, exactly, that's what I was thinking. Where it's the like sign the, of fealty. The, the, yeah, the one leg forward and the, <laughs> the one uh, hand towards your head is you bow to the knee uh yeah you must do a silly walk to get by exactly (laughs) so yes Uh, okay so here comes kind of the science he was able to take things from the prisoners prisoners world to his the tutor fish popkin proved that he would take the bags of drugs as he had taken the popkin the prisoner would clear the customs and then roland would bring the bags of drugs back can you Ah, uh, here was a question disturbing enough to distract him from the view of the water below. They had gone, o- they had gone over what looked like a huge ocean and were now turning back toward the coastline. As they did, the water grew steadily closer. The air carriage was coming down. Eddie's glance was brief, cursory. The gunslinger as rapt as the child, seeing his first snowfall. He could take things from this world, that he knew. But bring them back again? That was a thing of which he had, as yet, had no knowing. He would have to find out. Gunslinger reached into the prisoner's pocket and closed the prisoner's finger over a coin. Roland went back through the door. <laughs> so again, very scientific so, as Roland goes scientific. through this. Yeah. It's like, all right, before I try this, let me make sure I can do it. But he comes up with a great plan. It's like, if he doesn't have the drugs, he could just walk straight through. I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Roland's like, okay, I've got this means of taking all of these drugs off of Eddie because I know that that army woman is watching him. So clearing the customs ritual will be be much more difficult. So, yeah. Okay. So what was there was one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, Let's see. Is Eddie aware that Roland's in his mind? Not yet. No. At this point, okay. Eddie just thinks that he's having these weird blank outs and he's uh, very tired. So he's going to sleep a lot. And he's like, why would I be going to sleep? I'm high at this moment. Uh, so, well, I mean, I guess heroin, you would kind of nod off. But that's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, but in any case, oh, the, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, a man who dealt in drugs would either know a man or be a man who also cured the sick. Uh, a man who could listen to what was wrong, and then maybe he must clear the customs, Roland thought, the gunslinger thought. So basically, Roland doesn't really care about Eddie's whole drug plan, but he what he does care about is uh, the fact that he is horribly infected and he needs, a do- he yeah. needs, if not a doctor, then medicine. So that's Roland's motivation for helping Eddie at this moment, other than uh, being given this... Uh, this magical doorway that leads him into this other person's mind. It's like, okay, yes, there's this, all this fantastical elements, but to break it down to 
what I absolutely need life or death situation. I need to be healed. So that's so there. I love that there's multiple motivations for this whole thing. And there's a lot more. Yeah. uh, Driving Roland to uh, have. uh, There's also a ticking clock on this whole thing that a Roland is very sick and he's dying. B Eddie is uh, coming into the customs. So Roland has to help him basically right now. So yeah, it's really exciting. All of these things are like coming together. Yeah, there's it, 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 it's just a a uh, textbook on how to ratchet up the tension on uh, <laughs> a, in a, a, in a story. Yeah, so it's great. Uh-huh. And I was thinking um, about you know uh, Roland's uh, archaic kind of views on things, um, uh-huh. and like the the pharmacist or the apothecary would be the, the person who, yes, he deals dr- illicit drugs, but also like antibiotics. Well, not antibiotics, but whatever drugs are needed. You yeah, know, whatever Roland because, would think of, yeah. <laughs> well, if he has these drugs, then he might either be the man or know the man who has the correct drugs, you know? Exactly, um, yeah. He just thinks of them all as, you know, potions and powders, and he doesn't uh, consider the fact that these would be very widely different, disparate fields of... Uh, though, I mean, technically, uh, they're both dealing in opiates, so, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, how far exactly. apart is the uh, uh, big pharma from the heroin in- industry, the cartels? <laughs> But that's this is very that, true. That's another story. Yes, I don't want to get uh, <laughs> you know too political. Too much. But, I mean, we've gone uh, into our own politics very much, so there's no getting away from it at this point. Well, I think it's also uh, Roland being like, "Why are some things illegal and some things aren't?" You know, true. So whatever he has is illegal, but I need something else from this man. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so where are we now? Back to Eddie? No, now we are. Roland goes back through the door. Um, Oh, that's right. The birds flew away when he sat up. They hadn't dared come as close this time. He ached. He was woozy, feverish, yet it was amazing how much even a little bit of nourishment had revived him. He looked at the coin he had brought back this time. So basically, he looks at it, and from what we uh, know as the reader, we can tell that he's looking at a quarter, uh, and Mm -hmm. he goes in to describe it in great detail that uh, a man whose face suggests nobility, courage, stubbornness. Uh, And then on the other side, uh, it caused him to cry out in a rusty, croaking voice. On the back was an eagle, the device which had decorated his own banner in those dim days when there had still been kingdoms and banners to symbolize them. So now we've got a little bit more of information about Roland's world that not only has Gilead fallen, but all of the kingdoms have fallen. This is full-on post-apocalypse. Oh. Hmm. So, time's short. Go back. Hurry. Uh, But he tarried a moment longer... And so he does another experiment at the same time where he's like, okay, so I've brought the coin back. Now let's see if I can bring the coin back again. But I'm also going to try to bring something from my world into Eddie's. And he right. takes one of the cartridges. Oh, one of the, sh- the spent cartridges. Right? Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, the prisoner's coin was still there, firmly held in his pocketed hand. He didn't have to come forward to check on the shell. He knew it hadn't made the trip. So, hey, Kevin, real quick. I'm sorry. I want to go back for a second. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, to the eagle. Mm-hmm. So that's that's his uh, the standard on the uh, Deshine banner is an eagle. Yes, indeed. Does that have anything to do with King Arthur? Huh. 
Nothing I can think of. I can't remember any eagles in Arthur legend. Uh, but also yeah, not a historian of that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah, I forgot to look that up, but I, that's just something I was thinking. I don't know that this. You laid a breadcrumb for me that I keep looking for <laughs> and not finding. Well, I guess Stephen did by saying Merlin earlier. He know? did, yeah. The yeah. Sorry, Mr. King. Mr. I, King. I, I try not to call him. Yes. <laughs> I don't think there's anything specifically specifically okay. related. Uh, yeah. That was just something I was thinking. Anyway. It's worth um, it. It's worth noting. So, <laughs> so basically, the coin was still there. Yeah, so it was a half-successful experiment that, well, I don't know if that, I mean, is any, I mean, I guess uh, half-proven hypothesis, let's say, because you don't want to say, I mean, any experiment is successful when you learn something. So uh, his hypothesis that uh, he could bring something back and forth uh, from Eddie's world, yes, but he can't bring something from his own world to Eddie's world. Okay, so then the next thing would be to try to take the tutor fish back, right? So if you could take the coke into his world and then take it back, because the cartridge was only in Roland's world, whatever that is. Right, but is. Uh, the quarter that uh, he the quarter did go back, so therefore uh, he could so he be can able bring to, things. He can bring things. Yeah, he can take things to his own world and then bring them back afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the cartridge he had been along with lay at the base of the door on the sand. Yeah, and he actually like was answered. Yeah, he actually cut his cheek on the way down. So all of all of these times that he's like uh, walking through the door, basically his body almost falls like with a thud to the ground. So he's actually kind of hurting himself a little bit every time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't catch that. I, I was like, why does he have a cut on his cheek? Okay, so when he comes back into his body, he actually stands up and does things. Exactly. When he goes through the door, it just like he just yeah. becomes a corpse. Basically, yeah. In there. Yeah. So it's interesting that there is a little bit of a cost associated with making this transition back and forth. So his body still is abandoned back in his own world on that beach. So it's, yeah. I, I do Maybe he's like going to learn to just like, I'm going to lie down before I leave my body. Exactly. Maybe <laughs> if I just lie down and just put my head through, then that'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. As opposed Let's to just walking through fully out. erect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is totally scientific method. I'm going to change one variable here and see, okay, now I know that that's the reason why. Mm. Cool. Okay, now let, let me change this variable. Okay, cool. I understand that now. Mm. That didn't work. Okay, that makes me understand more. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. So, yes. So, and then we've got this little bit of uh, foreshadowing here. The gunslinger settled back content, unaware, at least for the time being, that he still had not grasped the extent of his problem. And then Mm. section six, the 727 came in low and smooth over the salt marshes of Long Island, leaving sooty trails of spent fuel behind. The landing gear came down with a rumble and a thump. So that is the end of our section. I I know we're we're still in the middle (laughs) of like all of this events that are going on. Yeah. And can't wait to continue reading. Uh, I think I'm going to start reading, like, right now. Do it, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I I usually save it for, like, right before we record, because it's so short. So that it's I fresh, wanna, like, yeah. Read it and, yeah, I want it to be, like, fresh in my mind. <sighs> this is exciting. I can't wait to see what happens next. But it looks like it, it'll be easy. Yeah. 
Exactly. Well, at the very least, at Roland's point of view, because he's like, "Oh, well, we'll just take all, all of this drug off of Eddie, and then we'll uh, leave it on my side, and then when he has to clear the customs, then they can, uh, you know, the they will examine him, and there will be no sign of any of these drugs." So there you go. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens uh, next week. Um. Yeah, uh, it's been a pretty good one. Uh, what should we read up to next time, Kev? I'm looking through right now. Um, let's see. These next ones go a little bit longer. So I'm going to say let's read up to the end of section... Oh, no, 10 and, 12, 10 and 11 are both really short. So let's read up until the end of section 13. Lucky 13. Section 13. Sounds good. My favorite number. Indeed, me too. All right, uh, Kev, uh, if people want to see us, uh, you can check us out, you know, various places. Uh, Indeed. Facebook and, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher and yada yada, all those things. Apple, uh, Google, Apple. all the, the major conglomerates that control all of our technology these days, yep. <laughs> you can find us on the internet. Indeed. Government <laughs> secrets, probably, who knows. <laughs> Chapterbrothers.com. Um, <laughs> Yes, that's a good one. Oh, I should really update that. As should I. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But anyway, until next time, Kevin, long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. I love you, brother. Love you too, man. <laughs>